I'm Stephen Gregory Smith. I'm Matt Connor. Places, everyone. It's time for the Connor and Smith Show. Thank you, places. Hey, everybody. We're about to talk to artistic director of the New York Theater Barn, Joe Barros. Um, we will be right back after this. Hello. Hi. Hi, Joe. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Hey, it's me, Stephen, and my husband, Matt, here. Hey, Joe. How's it going? Well, you know, we've been Zooming for 19 months now. <laughs> now we're doing podcasting, except it's like Zoom, but no video. <laughs> That's awesome. I love it because I don't even have to wear makeup. <laughs> or heels yeah i'm I'm currently nude i currently am in heels and makeup <laughs> so joe uh so joe is the artistic director of the new york theater barn um which is a manhattan-based theater company it, it kind of develops new musicals um it started in 2007 but joe before we go into your uh theater we first met on a little show called Brother Russia at the Signature Theater. That's right, and it was it was such a blast, and uh, it was such a thrill for me to work at that beautiful space with this incredible cast and to do a John Dempsey and Dana Rowe show. I mean, I grew up loving their shows, The Witches of Eastwick, Zombie Prom, The Fix, so it was exciting to be a part of that history. Yes, and with Jody Mochia. That's right. Jody was awesome. The toe, the foot, the ball, the heel. <laughs> she would have us, we're talking about, she would, uh, listeners, she led brilliant warm-up floor bar exercises that like lengthened my spine over the course of the run of the show. Um, really, really, really great for your health to do. I wish, wish I could still well, I guess I could still get into it. I just have not. Yeah. Um, Jody, if you're listening, we need you. Yeah, we need a session. Um, for those people who don't know Jody, um, you know, she's part of major theater history. You know, she worked with uh, Michael Bennett and Bob Fosse, and there's this incredible picture of Jerry Mitchell um, in a workshop of Michael Bennett's scandal, and he's holding this incredible, incredibly beautiful dancer, and it's Jody. Oh, wow. She's also a part of pop culture history as one of the dancers in Love is a Battlefield, Pat Benatar's video. <laughs> that is that is true. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it was a crazy show that um, I, I, it, I, I still think it has some kind of life ahead of it. At some point, I know that Dana and John are up to many more adventures in writing different things, but... Um, it, the music was just so good. The story, um, and it was a fun time. I, we even, I, I was part of the New York kind of backers audition run of that as well. Um, we got to kind of change it a little, and there was a, some different cast members. I think there were like three DC cast members that stayed with it. Um, right. But that was a, another additional... A uh, fun revisit back to that show. Um, I do not missing miss wearing the sh the 
six inch heels though. That's for sure. <laughs> Joe, when you were the assistant on that, how do you land something like that? Do you prepare like a cover letter? Do you, are you, is it because you're already attached with the show because the writers like, how does someone become an assistant director like that? That's actually a, a really um, good question. I was doing a production of um, Little Shop of Horrors in Brooklyn at a little, little theater called the Gallery Players. Um, and I was really excited about this concept and it was a really thrilling production. And the the girl who was the producer, her name was Regina Gaddy. And her boyfriend at the time, who's now her husband, he was actually in Follies. And so... Um, she introduced me to Eric Schaefer and thought that I should know him and um, sort of on a whim, he told me that he was doing this new musical and um, he was like, but you wouldn't know anything about it. And he mentioned that it was a John Dempsey and Dana Rowe show. And I was like, they're one of my favorite writers and I knew all this about it. And so that excited him. Um, and, you know, I wanted to be there. So I made it known. I put that energy out there and then um, the, the door opened for it to happen. Do you remember that? Del didn't Natasha have like this delicious solo with a chair? She did. Crush me. Crush me. Crush me. And there was an amazing song early on in the show sung by a witch called Child of the Wood. Yes. Yes. There yeah. was Rachel. That was Rachel. Was Rachel. Yeah. yeah. Yes, indeed. Many, many uh, fond memories of that show and in particular. Um, I... I, I know, I remember that you worked on the Gigi Broadway revival with Eric, correct? I, I did. And what's pretty crazy about that is that um, I really wanted to work with him on it from the beginning, but um, I didn't have the opportunity because uh, another awesome director, Brandon Ivey, was working with him on Hello Dolly at the Fords. And so it was sort of like Brandon sort of got like my position and then Eric was loyal to Brandon. And so I wasn't even part of the show um, at the Kennedy Center, but because Brandon decided to take a show called Lizard Boy, which has gone on and had a life, um, I was able to, he made space for me. Isn't that interesting? Lizard Boy has a life. <laughs> yeah, Lizard Boy has a life and I guess go to Broadway. So I was thrilled. I mean, if I had my pick, Broadway, Gigi or Lizard Boy, I would have gone with Gigi, but good for him. Um, you know, he, he had done a few Broadway shows and Lizard Boy was a, a passion piece for him. Um, and uh, it's it's made some waves over in Seattle and it was featured in the National Alliance for Musical Theater's Festival of New Musicals this year. Oh, good. That's fantastic. Um, and how was the experience working on Shishi? It was exciting. Um, I will say it was it was fairly brief, but it was a thrilling few months of my life. So much of the show had already been worked out. Um, and I was just, I was just so impressed, uh, by everything that, um, was transpiring around me. Um, you know, I was in a theater that meant a lot to me. I knew that this was the theater where Annie and Merrily We Roll Along played. Um, you know, I got to work with people that were on cast albums that I grew up listening to, like Howard McGillan and Dee Hody and Victoria Clark. Um, and everyone was just so kind and everyone was so excited about the show and audiences loved it. Yes, there was, it was very elegant. There was lots of pink. <laughs> there sure was. Um, you worked on another show that was its signature, but I can't remember. I don't think you were, correct me if my memory is just shot to hell, but um, you didn't work on Beaches at Signature, did you? 
No, I didn't. In fact, I was working on, uh, while Beaches was at Signature, I was working on a workshop there called the Haunted Hotel. Yes. But then I got to work on Beaches at um, uh, Chicago's Jewelry Lane. Yes. Yes. So I did, fun story, uh, a workshop of Beaches. Um, before, I mean, it was still in development. Um and I think a lot of changes were made after the workshop I was part of. Um, but uh, it's interesting to, to watch a show's evolution and development and, and, you know, it's never finished. Right. Um, totally. It just changes and evolves and, you know, reveals itself. Um, but I, speaking of new works and sometimes new works that do or don't see the light of day, there's two uh, here that I would love to talk to you about. Um, so you were at one point a part of a workshop or reading of King Kong, correct? I was. It was very exciting. So all I remember seeing is the incredible footage of this, the puppetry. And um, I, I feel like the show never really kind of landed, correct? Uh, from, from what I heard, I actually never got to see the Broadway production but I'll, I'll say that I saw a lot of footage from Australia. Yeah. It is an extraordinary puppet. And, uh, you know, I wish I wish it would have worked or I wish it would have had this amazing life or, you know, because there is something powerful there. Uh, the team that, um, you know, I was an associate for um, was the team that was really brought in to do some deep work, to deepen the story and to elevate it as a musical. So the three times I was in the room to make this project throughout a year was all about them, you know, creating the material. And then when we would do presentations, it was about that. And we would show video footage. In fact, there were times where we had a puppeteer and then we had an actual person voicing Kong um, and like various associates working with them. So it was never even about like all of the King's men on the stage who actually manipulate the puppet. And the team at, uh, at that time was Josh Burgoss, Eric Schaefer, and the writers were Marsha Norman and Jason Robert Brown, who had just had a really successful time working on the bridges of Madison County. And Jason's job was you know, to come in and write a, a certain amount of songs. And I think he would get paid more if he wrote additional songs and he had tasks and he would just come in and do it and they would tell him exactly what they wanted. And um, him and Marsha would agree where the songs would go and her, her focus was making the show about um, us thinking about how we were destroying the natural world and how Kong was a part of the natural world and how we are too. And uh, seeing that connection between uh, man and animal would sort of maybe help us save the nature we're destroying. Right. right. Yeah. And then that team eventually, uh, what uh, wasn't the team that went to Broadway. So, um, but it was it was really interesting to be to be in that room. I'll say, I can imagine. I just remember thinking, at the time, like all it needs is like a half decent book, a half decent score, just for the iconography of going to New York City to see King Kong. You know, the creature is synonymous with New York City, right? Yeah. So it would be like one of the most New York things you could possibly do in like a tourist attraction that would run for decades, I thought. So really shocking that that did not happen. Um, 
Well, you know, Jason, Jason was very smart. He wrote a lot of pastiche things, and I think he really got that. Um, and I remember he wrote like this big swashbuckling opening number for the men at sea that really worked well. Um, and this beautiful song for, for Ann Darrow when she arrived and she got out of the taxi. It was, it was really spectacular. Wow. Um, and the other new musical that I wanted to talk to you about uh, that you had some involvement with is Mommy Dearest, I Have to Hear More. Yeah, that's that's a good story, actually. Um, so I've become I've become great friends with Christina Crawford. She's just so special. And she really wants to, you know, she wants to tell the story of of these two children, you know, who really were abused, basically, and how they stuck together over time. Um, Matt Schicker, who's on my board now of New York Theater Barn, um, he was working with the Gunkwit Theater and he said, um, Christina doesn't have a, a, a composing team or anything, but uh, she basically wants to get a reading together where we could sort of workshop the show and sort of sell it to, to writing teams to write songs with her. So my job was to come in and cast the entire show and bring in like songs of the period and just play them like between scenes or underscoring to give anybody a feeling. And that I would direct the actors because, you know, Christina wasn't a director and someone had to be in the room to, st to steer the ship. So I, I was hired for like a week to do that. And um, a bunch of different writers came into the room and um, Christina and I just really vibed. So she asked me to keep working with her. And then she ended up bringing on David Nels, who wrote The Great American Trailer Trash Musical. And um, they actually really vibed. Um, and even though he comes from the camp world, that's not what she she wanted to create. She wanted something that's a huge departure from the film. She believes there's a there's a a, a deeper uh, story about a brother and a sister in the book, and so that's that's the story she wants to tell. And so I've been a part of multiple readings. Um, I don't think that uh, uh, Gunkwood is a part of it anymore, but my friends at Out of the Box Theatrics produced a reading that we did in the city, and. Yeah, Chris, Christina is terrific. We actually, um, we won two telly awards for a presentation that was filmed of the of the show at uh, Birdland right before the pandemic. Oh, nice. And I'm, I'm guessing, so she she finally did find her composing team? So her, her composer, and she ended up working with David Nels in the long run, and they're still writing, they're still writing songs together. Um, and they are a great team. She's writing the book co-lyrics he's writing music and lyrics well very much looking forward to that um and joe you're also a writer i i am a writer um i'm actually working on a show um right now which is called to whom it may concern it's uh about ryan white the teen teenage hemophiliac who contracted aids in the 80s um, and became the poster child for aids and it's to be told with a, an all teenage cast we, we did a workshop in January and we worked on two songs. One's called Dear Ryan, and it's about hundreds of letters that are on display at the Children's Museum of Indianapolis uh, that people wrote to Ryan White. And then another is a song about Ryan and Greg Luganis. I met Greg on Clubhouse and he told me that when he hit his head on the diving board at the 1988 Seoul Olympics, he immediately thought of Ryan. Uh, 
because he was going to drop out of the race and he thought of Ryan and it gave him strength and he won a gold medal. So the song is about how he gave his gold medal to Ryan and how the gold medal is a symbol. Um, I'm really excited about this piece mainly because, uh, you know, I have a lot of history. I grew up during the AIDS crisis. My father brought home cast albums from the men who would die of AIDS, who were his friends at work. And that was my window to Broadway. And then when I was five, my grandfather had a blood transfusion, uh, contracted HIV, which was called GRID then, and passed it to my grandmother. They died. My father and my aunt sued the blood bank and lost. And, um, you know, it's a part of uh, the AIDS crisis and AIDS history that we don't really explore or talk about. And this is not this is not even explored in musical theater at all, only very indirectly in falsettos, which happens to be my favorite musical. Um, so yeah, that's the story. Um, and I, I'm just, you know, I've, you've got quite a storied bio of filled with amazing things. So I'm trying to pick and choose several things that just, just pick a word, just pick a word. Well, uh, so I, that was highlighted the, the Ryan White um, musical that you're working on, but right under that, you're also working on a new musical about two families in a North Texas town who struggle with a community battle ignited by a high school production of the musical Rent, inspired by true events. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, so that was uh, um, the first show that New York Theatre Barn actually commissioned. Um, I was part of a team that conceived that show. We wanted to tell a story about community with a community of writers, and we eventually came upon that story. So we started writing it with 17 writers, and then eventually we decided that uh, two writers who had never written together are actually going to create that show. And they are Brandon James Gwynn uh, and Sammy Buck. And so we've been developing that for a few years. I directed a workshop at the Hart School. And then um, there was actually a world premiere of it uh, in 2018 at American Theater Group in New Jersey. Um, and. What can you, I mean, just cliff notes, obviously, but can you give me kind of the situation of the, the true events? What happened about this, this uh, community so, battle? Yeah, so in, the, in the, the actual story is, it's inspired by a few different stories, but mainly uh, one that happened in Rowlett, Texas. And basically uh, there was community controversy over, um, the over the themes in the show. And so there were students and parents on both sides People wore buttons that said "Save Our Show." Kids got spat on. That you know there were there were um, you know really intense uh, town hall meetings, and also there was a parent who was running for uh, city council who also used it as a political ploy uh, to prove um, you know his his political agenda. Unfortunately, and it really rocked uh, the teacher, whose name is Brandon Tajarina. Um, but he—he's who I contacted originally, and we—we uh, we would meet often to talk about his experiences. So it was heavily inspired by that. Um, but the musical is specifically about two families, uh, Scott and Alexandra. Scott has lived in Speargrove, Texas, his whole life, and you find out that his mother. Um, have left the family because she got addicted to opioids after having a surgery. So his father is is afraid that, you know, Rent is going to make him do drugs. He also carries a camera and wants to be a film student. And his father is, you know, uneasy about him leaving for college. And Alexandra is new to Spear Grove by way of Parks, Park Slope, Brooklyn. 
uh, super liberal. Her and her mom saw Rent on Broadway many times. Uh, she's questioning her sexuality. And so in order to blend in, she ends up dating uh, Ricky Hunter, who is um, the head of the football team, you know, who's from a Republican family. And um, yeah, the show gets canceled and the students end up putting it on themselves. Now, when you're doing something that's kind of inspired uh, about uh, something around the musical Rent, how does that work as far as using the word Rent or any mention of the show's anything? Well, th so there's no material from the show in it, really. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we I'll tell you what, we said Rent a lot more originally, but there's a lot of like that show. Oh, that show. But they but they do say Rent. Mm hmm. Um, yeah, there's nothing copywritten that is that is being taken from it. So, yeah, that's got to be tricky to kind of tiptoe around because, like, you're probably like dying to say, you know, something well, from the show. Well, but you, you can also you... early on in the show, what like in the development of it, there was a lot of stuff that was very like on the nose or very kitschy, you know, that was like "take me, baby, or leave me" or something that was. Kind of like that line in Wicked where they go lemons and melons and pears. Oh, my. Um, and so the show doesn't have a lot of that anymore. It's become more earnest, more honest, um, not spoofy at all. Gotcha. Um, there's another credit in here that I have to ask the story of because it, it it's three of my favorite people. You've choreographed for films, but this one, I've not seen the film, but I love the people. Mangus with Jennifer Coolidge, Leslie Jordan, and John Waters. What is that story? Yeah, I love that you asked that because that was 10, well, 11 years ago we filmed it. And 10 years ago we came, we came to Fire Island to see it in the Fire Island Film Festival. And here I am. I'm actually in Fire Island right now. Um, Ash Christian is one of my best friends. He actually passed away last year. And he is an actor, director, producer, and writer. And we were we became great friends over a year and he had done his first movie called fat girls, uh, with, um, Ashley Fink and, um, Robin DeJesus. And he had written this piece, this, this movie. And he said, you know, it's about this kid who gets injured and, um, he ends up in a wheelchair and he's cast as Jesus and they're in the high school's production of Jesus Christ spectacular, which is a version of the show because they can't get the rights to Jesus Christ Superstar. <laughs> and nobody wants Jesus to be in a wheelchair. And it's it's this story of redemption and power. And um, anyway, it's 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 very John Waters, which is what which is who uh, inspired Ash. And John Waters actually plays Jesus in the movie in a hallucination. But um, Ash Ash asked, I can't even say Ash asked. Ash asked me to choreograph uh, this whole ridiculous sequence um, of Jesus Christ Spectacular, the school play, which Leslie Jordan stars as Santa Claus because he's the school teacher. Um, Alan Cumming was supposed to play the role and backed out at the last minute. So it's it's Leslie Jordan. And it looks like a hodgepodge between Jesus Christ Superstar from the 70s and Godspell. Um, it's, it's ridiculous. Oh, wow. Jennifer Coolidge is Mangus's mother. Um, I can't remember. Uh, Heather Matarazzo's in it too. Wow, that's that's I I want to like see that film. My gosh, like, is it available to watch different places? Yeah, I I'm pretty sure you can watch it. Um, 
on like Amazon or um, even on um, on Netflix. Deb, Deb Thaker, who was in Waiting for Guffman, is in it too. Oh wow! Yeah, we're we have to look that one up. Um, so let's let's get to the the New York theater barn of it all. Can you tell me about what your mission is? When you kind of came along to the theater barn, like what what is the story there? Sure. So, um, well. So like I mentioned earlier, Falsettos is my favorite show. So when I was 17, I ended up producing and directing it in San Francisco with all my friends who happened to be at Beach Blanket Babylon at the time. Alicia Umphress was Trina. And from there, I realized that musicals could be about us and that, you know, I could lift up stories like this and that this is what I wanted to do and that this was more of a superpower that I had. So I went to the Hart School um, in Connecticut. University of Hartford, and we did new musicals. And there was a show called I Married Wyatt Earp um, when I was a student there. And I was just so excited about this all-female musical about the Jewish wife of Wyatt Earp and the women of the American West. And I was just really surprised by it. And it was sort of the impetus to create a company um, that would uh, incubate, develop, and present new works. And so I was one of the co-founders. It was 2007. I was in my early 20s. And um, yeah, I just happened to be at the right place at the right time. My friend David Riggler, who was a set and costume designer who I had done summer stock with, was like, yeah, I want to do this company. I want to create it with you. So that's literally how it happened. And we convinced Sheila Ray, who was one of the writers of I Married Wyatt Earp, to be the president of our board. So she sort of co-founded it with us. She was in the original companies of Fiddler on the Roof and Applause, and she helped guide us. And so we ended up producing that show off-Broadway and with Prospect Theater Company. And now it's called The Bell of Tombstone. We're still doing work on it. We're going to be uh, presenting it in an outdoor theater at Phoenix Theater Company in a year. Um, but yeah, that all sort of happened and we've come to know New York Theater Barn is an anti-racist nonprofit theater company uh, that serves as a home for original culture shifting musicals during incubation. And we are incredibly focused with intention on uh, lifting up stories from marginalized communities um, and, you know, serving artists. We, we really are uh, focused on the investment of, of, of process. And um, we're also dedicated to incubating new musicals in front of live audiences and in real time. We, you know, we value musical theater as one of the world's supreme healing tools. And we feel that the development of new work should be shared um, and that it shouldn't be this exclusive underground thing. Um, and we're also expanding um, who, who has access uh, to musical theater development? So we have a, a few different programs. Our new work series, uh, we now do uh, every other week uh, as virtual presentations. We produce uh, two songs from two new musicals and a conversation with the writers. In the real world, we would do 35 minutes of each show and we call those pre-premieres of new, new musicals. Our choreography lab is the only platform we know of where choreographers and writers uh, collaborate on movement for new musicals during incubation. And usually we're putting uh, a number from a show on its feet for the very first time, a show that, that's never been staged. And we're now filming, filming these as hybrids and editing them together. 
And then we also have developmental productions beyond the productions that we produced off Broadway, like I Married Wyatt Earp. Um, and so our, our last developmental production was called Love and Yogurt. We built a, a grocery store at Theater Lab in New York and immersed the audience in this grocery store. And then our newest, uh, our newest project is called Theater Barn Records, which is an imprint of Broadway records and dedicated to new musicals and development. And the idea is to release cast albums uh, or concept albums of new musicals in development to help harness a global audience for writers while their shows are still being developed. Wow. Do you, do you ever do like... Um a compilation of like, you know, the feeder barn 2020, even though that's- oh, I bet It's so strange that you're saying that because yes, we, we, we are. Um, in the fall, we are going to be releasing a compilation to commemorate the 14th anniversary uh, of our company. We, we hope to release 14 tracks, but it might not quite get there. It's going to be called the new musicals mixtape. And it's about, uh, it's songs incubated and presented by the company primarily over the last year. And it really includes a, an eclectic blend of new stories told in new ways and by a very diverse community of writers. I love that. Now, if I have, am sitting here with a checkbook and listening to this, is there uh, a place where I can find you to donate money to your wonderful barn? There absolutely is at nytheaterbarn.org slash give. Um, donation tax deductible. And how much do you want the check to be for? Well, uh, you know, it really depends on what you can give. If you can give $5, that's amazing. But if you can give 5000 that would really be about one third of a workshop of a new musical called Sueños, which is about three generations of a Mexican-American family that we will be producing in uh, October um, to commemorate Hispanic Heritage Month. Okay, you know what, this is great. Let's talk about this for one second for people who really wanna know where does their contribution go? Because I'm not sure if you're not in the arts, you really understand how the sausage gets made. So you're saying that you are gonna need at least $15,000 for a, a workshop production? Absolutely, so I'll tell you what, we, um, we're we're actively developing three musicals right now. Sueños, that show I just told you about. Wonder Boy, about a transgender superhero. I love that. And uh, Borders, a queer love story about a Palestinian and an Israeli soldier based on the film The Bubble. It's like a um, queer Romeo and Juliet. So with, with those shows and uh, with the compilation album, I'll say that the compilation album is something that's probably going to cost about $20,000 of which we have about five. And with the album, that's actually an investment. So when we put money in, we actually make a return. For Wonder Boy, we just got a grant to investigate the orchestrations for four tracks so that we can record an EP next year. So we're working with orchestrator Macy Schmidt to uh, refine the orchestrations. We got a grant for $5,000, but um, usually a project like that costs about ten. Sueños, like I said, is a $15,000 one-week workshop. And for Borders, we'd love to do a reading anywhere from $2,500 to $5,000. And it could be virtual or in person. We, need to, we are working towards a production of Borders to help the writers keep their option from the, um, from, for the film. 
that's you're doing so many wonderful, bold, beautiful things. Um, and after your initial workshop of the show, and what is what is the barn looking like? Let let's say in the fall with COVID, uh, are we looking to maybe do opening up and doing in person stuff? So we're we're gonna we're gonna do Sueños in person. We're gonna workshop six songs in a room, and then we're gonna film it on the last day. We may invite some audience in, but ultimately that time is a workshop process and that footage then can be used as a marketing tool. And that work is working towards fixing the script and refining orchestrations for a concept album, but it will be real actor, real artists in real spaces. Um, so we're still determining if we're going to be under an equity contract, a SAG contract, or if we will be for that right we also would like to do two installments of our new work series in person but we will include a virtual component now that we know it can work we aren't aren't sure how that's going to work yet but we know that we are dedicated to making it happen yeah oh that's amazing um do you have a connection with Shenandoah university but one thing that's great hello Hello? Joe? Are you there, Joe? Oh. Oh, there you are. Did I, did I disappear for a second? You did. We had just asked you if you had a connection to Shenandoah University. And you disconnected. Oh. <laughs> um. I, I did. There was a time where I did, where I had uh, a few friends working there, and I've actually gone there to teach a master class, and the students at Shenandoah are fantastic. We went there. That's so awesome. Yes, that's where we met. Um, and we've actually taken uh, some of our new musicals there for productions as well, uh, to have the students work on them uh, with us. And so, yeah. It's 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 not the school that we went to anymore. I mean, it's it's so much more improved and new campuses and everything like that. But well, um, Joe, I'm looking at the time. And I don't want to eat up too much of yours. We usually finish each interview with three questions. So we're going to start with those and then we'll wrap up. So, Matthew, do you want to go? Yeah. The first question is during the pandemic uh, time era. What was it going to be called? The, yeah, it would be the COVID era. The COVID era. Uh, a lot of people you know, took on brand new learning things. I'm going to learn Italian. I'm going to bake uh, cheesecake, whatever. Did, did you start a, a brand new learning curve? Um, I didn't really, but I think for the first time ever, I, I took time to drink a lot more water, get a lot more rest. Um, and I, I found some time for myself. Um, I've been reading a lot of of, of books about nature um, and about the environment and about um, how plants and trees are actually communicating with us because we're developing this musical called Mimosa, which is about that. And so I've been excited to study that and I've made time for that. Oh, that's amazing. The science of about basically the the, the things that we're not even paying attention to uh, when the earth is trying to communicate to us. 
Absolutely. Yeah, that sounds beautiful and right down my alley. Okay, second question is, what did you take uh, time for to watch on the, for example, Netflix? Uh, I recently watched Halston, which I thought was just extraordinary. And I loved seeing so many familiar faces and so many uh, uh, incredible actors on the screen. We loved Halston. Um, did you catch that moment in Studio 54 where they have an extra who's playing Divine talking yes, to Halston yes, in the yes. background? I love the detail. Yeah, I love that too. Um, and finally, we've been, so Matthew uh, is producing our friend Susan Derry's uh, first album. It's a holiday album called I Wish It So. So uh, we've been talking a lot about wishes over the course of the past year and what wishes really are and what they mean. And I built this wish box thing and I've been putting the guest wishes into the box after we've uh, finished a po podcast. Um, and I'm working with a local artist who has a studio called Studio Pause, where she it's basically a studio that invites the community in to basically get their hands dirty with art for the first time if they've they've not tried something. We're going to have an event at her studio. The artist's name is Sushmita Mazumdar, and we're going to unbox the wishes and kind of do an art project with the, you know, the wish. Um, and it'll coincide with Susan's like uh, album release. So all that to say, um, if you had one thing to wish for in the world, no matter if it's for you, your family, your country, the world, whatever, what is the first thing that pops into your head? That we would finally listen to each other. Mm-hmm. That's... I'm just writing it down so it'll go into the wish box. Um, perfect, Joe. Um, well, look, thank you for taking time out of your schedule to chat with us. We really appreciate it. Um, we, we've been had an eye on you and the, uh, the musical theater barn for a while. So we're, we thank you for uh, telling your stories and sharing your experiences with us. We really appreciate it. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks, Joe. We love you. We'll talk to you soon. Love you. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. So great to talk to Joe. Um, so glad you tuned in and spent time with us. Uh, remember to rate, review, subscribe to our podcast. It helps us out a lot. If you want to know more about us, visit www.connor, with an E-R, Smith Musicals. That's connorsmithmusicals.com. Um, and as we always say, turn your, your heart, heart into, into art. art. Goodbye, everybody.